0: You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network.
1: Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host,
0: Andrew Gerza. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really... Fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store almost any one item in the store for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie if you want for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that, that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com. You're going to go to checkout, and you're going to type in DarkPod. That's dark content and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability, with your host, me, Andrew Gerza. Hello. Thank you for coming and for, for, for listening to this. And for being here as we do all these things and um so get comfy, cozy and crippled, and let's get started. First things first friends, I am so excited that about all the new things that I'm gonna do with this feed, I cannot wait uh, to share with you some of the things that I'm doing well I, I you know I can share with you some of the things that I'm doing so I let me do that I am um, I'm gonna do an uh, a series with my sister Heather. we are working on um, we're working on a series within the podcast feed all about our venture to create the first line of sex toys for and by disabled people. and we're gonna be premiering that soon on the feed at some point when we figure it out. It's gonna be called Handycast, which you'll learn is the name of our company, is handy. And so we're going to be doing a whole show all about that soon, coming in the feed. I'm also going to do a show about disability history in the feed. And I'm going to do a show about about, um, disability and food distribution. Something that I think is really important, and I'm actually going to do it with a co-host friend of mine, Alexis Hilliard, who runs a really cool YouTube channel called Stump Kitchen, and we're going to do a show called... Cripple Kitchen, but Cripple with a K or a Crip Kitchen with a K where we talk about food and disability and all the things that come into that. So it's... it's The feed is really expanding and I'm super excited about that. Also, I'm going to do a movie show about, about disability cinema and media and disability media and stuff like that and it's going to be called Lights, Camera, Cripple. So a whole bunch of stuff... Is coming in the feed that I'm so excited to share with you on Thursdays. No matter what, you're gonna get some type of episode on the show. Um, whether it be one of the one of the one of the new show ideas I have, or our regular our regular sexy show, you're gonna get that kind of show in the feed. But you're gonna get more from me, and I'm really excited that you want to go along for that ride. One of the other things you may have noticed in the podcast today is that we have a new intro. I figured since we're expanding out past just sexuality, it would be cool to have a new intro. And my friend Dick Wound, who was in a band called... Let me look it up, I can't remember. He was in a band in high school called... I'm looking, I'm looking. He was in a band called... Music by Space Robot Scientists. So that intro you heard was by Music by Space Robot Scientists and it's a whole new kinda intro for the show just to move it to move it out of just sexuality and into something a little bit more general. But thank you Dickwound and, and Music for Space Robot Scientists or Music by Space Robot Scientists for letting me use that track. Before we get to the shoutouts for this week from the Patreon peeps, I wanted to let you know also that I'm, because we are right in the midst of this pandemic, and who the fuck knows when that's going to end, I would love for more people to be a part of our quarantine and chill episodes. I'm getting emails from people who listen to the episodes telling me how important they are, how connected they feel to the people telling their stories, and how necessary this type of content is right now. So I want to bring you that crippled quarantine content. If you want to be on an episode of Quarantine and Chill, make sure you email me directly at disabilityafterdark@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Put Quarantine and Chill in the subject line and let me know you want to be a guest. I would love to have you and hear how you're social distancing with disability, hear how you're dealing with the pandemic and disability and all the things around that. I'd love to have you be a part of that. And, just before we get on to the show today, I want to do a shout-out to some amazing people who have pledged to the Patreon. And this means, if you pledge to the Patreon, you get the show one day early, and a weird, awkward shout-out from me. And so I'm gonna pull up our latest Patreon supporter, and try to make a weird pun out of their name. So let me do that right now. Um... Looking to see who did it. Hang on one second Pulling up the computer. This is this is a professional podcasting person right here guys This is how you do or friends. This is how you do it. You I'm, I'm just kind of I press record and here I'm going so Yeah, this is what happens when you record things in your home studio and you haven't left your house since February because of quarantine This is what happens um <coughs> So our Patreon person today that we're going to give a shout-out to is Cameron John Wallace, who pledged $5 a month to keep the show going. Cameron John Wallace, you have three names because you're three times as awesome. Thank you so much for your support. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or $5 a month to keep the show going. I really, really appreciate all your support. It means a lot, especially in these tough times for all of us. I couldn't appreciate it more. But now, let's get to today's show. A couple of episodes ago, I did—I started a series on this show called What's Your Condition? Kind of where I went over the history, the the mythology, some of the facts and diagnoses of having certain disabilities so we could all start learning more about the disabilities that affect people and try to dismantle our ableism that way. And I started with cerebral palsy, as you heard, and I got an email from somebody in Toronto recently who was like, I love these badge episodes. They're really good and really well-researched. Can I come on the show and do one with you? And I was like, well, that's a cool idea. So on this episode today, you're going to sit and hear me interview a brand new friend of mine. She runs a Facebook page called Hope for Ataxia. She is somebody living with ataxia, and we kind of talk about the history of ataxia, how ataxia specifically affects her and her body, and kind of what ataxia looks like and how it presents. We also talk about how... Ataxia plays a role in her In her life In terms of dating And all that stuff We also look at How um, How Ataxia Plays a role in I can't remember what I was going to say We look at how Ataxia Affects her We look at the history And we look at how What it was like for her To receive a diagnosis And how difficult that was so we go into a lot of stuff in depth here. It was a really fun episode and it was really important to sit down with her. And I want to do more What's Your Condition episodes where I do a deep dive into a condition. So if you want to email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com with a condition you want me to research on my own or with a, a guest host, I'd love to do that. But now, without further ado, here's episode 187, What's Your Condition?, Ataxia with my new friend, Courtney Ng, right here on Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. Hey everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Disability After Dark. My name is Andrew Gerza. We're doing another cool episode of What's Your Condition today, which is a series that I started on the show A couple of weeks ago, that I wanted to do a series all about different types of disabilities and kind of going over their history, going over some fast facts about them, learning about how they're diagnosed, learning about how they affect people with disabilities, and in doing that kind of journey and figuring out which disability I was going to do next after I did my disability of cerebral palsy, some people reached out to me and said, I love your show, I love this idea, this is a great opportunity for us to talk more and more about disabilities and somebody that reached out to me is Courtney Ng and I have Courtney Ng in the virtual studio today. Hi Courtney.
1: Hi uh, Andrew.
0: I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for reaching out to me and for wanting to do this. This is awesome.
1: Yeah thank you for having me. I'm very excited.
0: So can you tell me a little bit more about Um, Well, I haven't revealed the disability we're doing today. (laughs) What disability are we doing on what's your condition today?
1: Yeah, so my specific condition is autosomal recessive cerebellar ataxia type 1. So the uh, type of disability is ataxia. And um, so a little bit about me. So I'm the co-founder of Hope for Ataxia, which is a grassroots organization uh, based in the Toronto area. and. We aim to raise tax awareness globally.
0: Wow and I you know what I totally forgot that you were based in Toronto so we're so close yeah. to each other and if we weren't going through a weird world pandemic right now, I would say we should do this in the studio but because <laughs> exactly. but I mean it's really it's really great that you do that. And so I wanted to, to kind of go over with you. Um, mm. we're gonna do we're gonna break the our discussion of ataxia into a couple parts today. We're going to do like we did last time on the on the first what's Your condition part of the series where we looked at like the history the the fast facts. So I'm going to do some I'm going to do some fast facts on what I found out about ataxia which surprisingly wasn't a lot.
1: Mhm, exactly. Yeah. It's f- so rare and that's why You know, I wanted to create Hope for toxic because I found when I was explaining my disorder to friends and family, there was just, you know, uh, there was just a disconnect and lack of knowledge. No one knew what it was.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's just so, it's so unfortunate that when you go to, when you have disabilities that are so rare, there's so little information for you and there's so Mm -hmm. few resources for you to access. So Mm -hmm. I I definitely want to talk to you after like after we do the fast facts and like, yeah. as we do the fast facts kind of about like your experience with ataxia and how how you know getting diagnosed was and all that stuff
1: Hmm. yeah
0: definitely awesome so first the first fast the first fast fact that i found was that ataxia is not one disease or disorder but rather a symptoms of diverse conditions how do you feel about that fast fact
1: so um, it's sort of to, it can be a symptom, but it's also, um, it's also hereditary. So like, for example, for me, um, it's recessive. So that means both my parents have the gene. They pass it on. There's also a dominant form. So um, ataxia is both acquired and is also hereditary. So it can be a symptom. So like if you have stroke or a head trauma or something has happened, you can have it where it comes as a symptom sporadically um, and or um, it's something where it's uh, a damage to the DNA um, and it's passed through generation to generation. Um, and in both cases, you know, they affect the cerebellum, which is that powerhouse in the brain that really um, coordinates balance and is responsible for performing those walking and, and other movements like that.
0: That's a, That's, like, there's so much there, but, like, it sounds very similar to when I was doing the first winter condition. When I was looking at cerebral palsy, they also said mm-hmm. like cerebral palsy is not. It's a a set of movement disorders that right. affect you know the same same kind of things: balance, muscles, swallowing, that kind of stuff. Very very similar. Mm-hmm. So when yeah. I was, when I was just doing the quick fast facts before we hit record today, I was like, wow, they're very similar in presentation.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, um, with ataxia, there's a lot of misdiagnosis because it's so similar to other conditions. So, you know, like, there's a lot of similarities between ataxia and Parkinson's, but they are, you know, separate disorders in terms of, like, where what what's affecting in the brain. Um, but, you know, similar sort of uh, symptoms, like there can be tremors, um, things like that. So, and they're both neurological. So... Um, there is some overlap in terms of the symptoms.
0: And I'm sure given that there's so much overlap with, with different levels of disability, I'm sure it can be hard to get a diagnosis.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there can be misdiagnosis. Oftentimes people, you know, there's still there's still different types of ataxia being discovered. You know, there's so many different types because... You know, uh, you can have a dominant type, which is spinocerebellar ataxia. And there's, like, one to, like, I'm not sure what number they're going up to. Um, I know there's, like, SCA-14. There's SCA-37. There's wow. different types because they all depend on the specific number, I guess, on the, the DNA, and that gene. Um, and then there's also types of recessive ataxias, uh, like my type. And then there's, you know... Um, There's, like, ARCA-8, and there's, like, different types of it. Um, And some haven't even been discovered yet because there's so little research. So, oftentimes, people are misdiagnosed or they're not – they have an unknown type of ataxia.
0: And so, this is just – this is me totally just asking a question. You may or may not know the answer. Mm -hmm. With with the terminology of recessive and dominant, like, that's taking me me back to, like, grade 7 science stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. With, like, the terms recessive and dominant, like, does – does recessive mean not as bad or is it, does it just mean do the genes?
1: It is uh, the genes. So it's how it's carried on uh, from generation to generation. So from my understanding is that with uh, something that's dominant, for, um, it'll be one gene that's passed down from one generation to another. Recessive genes can be carriers and they don't have to show up at all. So, um, they can, you know, be in a, a family for generations and no one can actually show a taxi gap.
0: So because doesn't, it can
1: just constantly pass on.
0: Yeah, so it doesn't affect the necessarily the severity of how the disability presents. It just affects whether or not you'll be a carrier.
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean, um, like in my case, both my parents have to be carriers in order to produce one child that ends up having ataxia and shows ataxia. So both of my parents have the gene, but they don't have the symptoms.
0: So oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Then. So
1: they're recessive. So so mine is just so they're just carriers. So someone who's who has SCA, um, either a parent or like a grandparent, a cousin, or someone has that gene and is already exhibiting symptoms, and it passes on to the next generation.
0: Okay. Um, mm-hmm. so another fast fact that I found was that ataxia generally can affect coordination, balance, muscles, swallowing. Again, very similar to like cerebral palsy. How has, how have those types of symptoms affected you?
1: Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, what I've noticed are three main things. So I have dysarthia, which is... Uh, when you start to have uh, speech um, sort of impediments and uh, challenges, so my speech is like more slurred, um, and then you know that that'll be something that I have to actively be aware of. You know, slowing down my speech, you know, being articulate. These are things that I have to be uh, notice and and take action on, um, and then fine motor skills. So like my writing has been affected. It's I I don't. You know, practice writing. Um, I find it really difficult. Um, I don't have the full control of the pen or pencil, um, so um, that you know um, also affects, I guess, in dating and stuff. Um, and we can talk about that later. Um, and also, like, oh, I balance.
0: do want to go there because you went there. So I'm like, <laughs> I want to go there now.
1: And um, uh, balance. Which is the last thing they notice. So things like, let's say, you know, I'm sitting at a desk, you know, doing, some, I'm on the computer for a couple hours. I'll notice I'm stiff, and I'll notice that I have to like slow down to get up. Um, I have to, I have to pause. Or if it's really cold outside, my muscles, um, like everything, just feels much more stiff, um, and I feel that I'm much more off balance. So it's kind of, it's kind of like a weakness almost that I feel.
0: Yeah. And so if you were to describe like your symptoms of a text, like if you were to like, if somebody didn't, cause I'm still trying to like figure out in my head how that, how that, what that feels like. So if you were to kind mm-hmm. of give a description of how, what that feels like for you, is it like a constant, like, does it feel like you're going to fall over all the time?
1: Um, it can feel like that when I've either been walking for a long time if it's really cold outside um, I have to sit down um, if I stand up I'll feel really weak um, I can walk unassisted uh, but I usually like to link arms with someone whether it's a friend or a family member while I'm walking uh, just to have that extra support um, but yeah so it's, it's not you know I don't feel if I'm sitting down I don't feel like I'm falling I think it's more when I'm in motion. So, you know, if I'm going up the stairs, I'm going up one way and I turn my I turn my head to look at a different direction, I will lose balance. Like it's just because my that, that part of my brain, the cerebellum, which is responsible for that coordination, that movement, is gonna be affected when I do that. So it's like it can handle that information. So I guess.
0: Would you say like would you say in your experience, would you would you classify ataxia kind of as like is it is it is it brain damage?
1: Yeah, so it is it is neurological and it is specifically uh, damage to the cerebellum.
0: Okay, so it, so because it, because the way it's described, like they don't actually say brain damage in a lot of the stuff I was reading. So right. Was just, so like it is. So yeah. Yeah, but,
1: I mean, um, it it's. It's um, it's like atrophy. So, like, um, the way it's described to me is that my cerebellum is smaller um, than the average person's cerebellum. So, um, and that's how it's been since birth. And as I get older, it'll continue to get smaller and atrophy. And, and then that's
0: where other symptoms come up. So does that... So are you... Do you feel... Like we talked a bit about a little bit earlier before we hit record about like how it's gonna get how it's gonna progress over time how do you feel about that as like are you scared of that progression do you have like what what feelings with somebody living with this do you have
1: yeah um I think it's definitely um you know it can be really confusing it can be really scary knowing that you have you're living with a chronic disorder and you there is no cure. I mean, um, you know, for ataxia, it's really managing the symptoms. So if you have, like, tremors um, or anything like that, then, you know, my, there might be, like, medications to take for the symptoms um, and, you know, like, self-care to maintain an active lifestyle. Um, but there's no, like, specific cure, that, you know, because it's, it's not, Yeah.
0: Yeah, because there's, there's so little research and there's so little stuff being done about it. Does it does it frustrate you that there's no cure for this? Like are you do you wish that we were doing more?
1: Yeah, um definitely. I think that's why I created Hope for Ataxia, you know, because I think that there isn't enough information on this sort of, this rare disease and there's so many rare diseases out there and this is just one type. Um, and I think that yeah, I, I you know I I want more information, more research into it, and I think there's some great organizations that do that, you know. Um, but we're we're sort of just lending our voice to to that movement.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's also I think it's also really important to. I love that you've created something because people need, we need more people living with stuff to to create stuff around their disabilities because. We don't have enough of that. We usually have large organizations trying to disseminate information that they don't necessarily understand. And having it having it from somebody who can give you lived experience, I think, is really key.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, right now, it's just a team of two, it's just me and my friend. We both have ARCA1. And, um, you know, it's just us sort of, you know, lending our voice to that and having lived experiences, you said
0: and i'm also I'm also really interested to talk to you a little bit about how you're a person of color, and you, yeah, you know, you are you have this disability. I'm curious to know, like, was it something in your family when you were talking about it? like is it was it something in your culture that they were ready to accept, or was it hard to kind of talk about that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, you know, in general, I mean, in my culture, you know, mental health is not talked about. So, um, having something like a physical spilling and, and I'm in the gray, so I'm still independent. Um, but I have some symptoms, but I'm still able to live life quite independently in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really hard to explain to family um, because they don't see um, they don't see what I'm talking about. It's it's different if you have you know a walking aid or a wheelchair. um, Yeah, something more visible, and it's like this is you know what I'm going through. It's so um, definitely it's it's uh, different to explain to them, and it never they had no knowledge of it. It didn't. It wasn't something they ran in the family. Um, because of a recessive uh, type of attack disease. so as I said, it could go through generations, and no one could have it.
0: So when you were kind of when you when you like learned about it, what was your family's reaction? Like, how did they, how did they, how did they talk about it, or did they talk about it, or how did they come to terms with the fact that you had this disability? Or-
1: yeah. Um. So I think I'm still working towards acceptance. I think it's it's a really it's a really lifelong journey, especially um, as some different symptoms come up. Um, So, you know, when I was diagnosed, I was 25. Um, So I didn't really take it seriously until I was about, probably last year or so. Um, And I think it's been really difficult for my mom. I'm very close with her. So she's my primary caregiver. and you know, seeing me going through different tests and you know, being passed through different doctors has been difficult. And of course, you know, the, the frustration for me is just knowing that you know, like, what, what can I do to sort of prevent the progression? And you know.
0: Yeah, and what, so what are some of mm-hmm. the things that you, you mentioned in wanting to prevent the progression? What are some of the things that you do to try to prevent the progression of the of the disease?
1: Yeah, so for me personally, it's just, you know, I make sure that I exercise, I uh, the and that's great for anyone, um, able-bodied or not, um, to make sure that you just keep active. So I go for walks all the time, make sure my muscles don't atrophy, um, and then I'm also doing things with my diet. So I'm trying to um, eat, you know, as, least processed foods as possible and i'm trying to cut out meats and i'm just sort of testing things out and seeing what works for me um so there's nothing proven out there so i'm sort of just taking my health in my hands right
0: yeah so. which can which is both great and probably can also be really scary and frustrating too
1: yeah definitely i mean i you know i don't know what it's gonna be the right method you know it, You know, it's sort of a testing. It's trial and error, for sure.
0: What is one of the symptoms that you had that scared you when it first presented itself?
1: Uh, Definitely balance. So I started noticing symptoms when I was 19. So um, it would be something like I would just hit the side of like a side table or something as I was getting up. I thought I was just clumsy, and, and a lot of people passed that off as clumsiness. Um, and then, when I was about 23, 24, it just got a little worse, so I noticed that it would happen more often. So, um, I would, you know, I would take, I'd need more time to get up um, and to sort of get my bearings before I started moving. Um, and then, um, that's when I, I went for testing and got diagnosed. And it was about a year, Um, I had to go, I got an MRI, Um, I got a lot of blood work done, because I didn't know what it was. They just knew that my cerebellum, there was something off, and it was, at the time, because of my age, it was moderate, Um, which scared me, I was like, what? (laughs) Um, Yeah, because
0: moderate is not just a little bit moderate, it's like, oh, we're halfway to like, maybe severe.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So I was like, oh my god. Um, and so from there, um, you know, I went for a genetics test and, um, that's when I got diagnosed with the specific type and, um, I've been seen, been seen by a neurologist every year and he's going to be, uh, seeing me for probably the rest of my life.
0: And what was that? Like, cause you know, one of the other fast facts that I read was that it can often manifest as other disabilities and can be really hard to get a diagnosis what was Mm -hmm. that diagnosis kind of like journey that first year of figuring it all out? What was that like for you?
1: Yeah. So, um, I think it was actually very uh, quick for me in comparison to other stories I've heard. Um, you know, some stories I've heard is that, you know, it's taken years of been misdiagnosed. Um, for me it was, you know, the waiting was frustrating because, you know, again, Mariah, I get all these blood tests, but they wouldn't know what it was. So I'd have to wait to get to see a geneticist. I'd have to wait to see, to get a referral to a different specialist. And so it was the waiting that was more frustrating for me, Uh, not knowing what it was, you know, I was sort of sitting in a limbo. Um, And then once I did get diagnosed, you know, I was lucky the results came back, you know, a specific type. Um, And then we had a specific diagnosis. And, so then my specialist was able to say, okay, this is sort of, we can't really do much, but this is what you have.
0: How did it feel when the doctor said, like, we can't really do a lot for you? Like, <laughs> how did that feel for you?
1: Um, so I was just like, okay, this is really rare. And, uh, and it's definitely really isolating, for sure. Um, and I think, you know, having an online community and, you know, having the Facebook group is is so helpful because when you're diagnosed with a rare disease like ataxia it's so um confusing and you you often feel so alone and you don't know you know where to turn to who you can turn to especially for me i didn't know any other you know asian females who are young who lived near me who had it and and it was just a very lonely time so definitely being able to connect with others through social media has been really helpful um, and being able to find other communities. And and that's what we try to do with our teleconferences is have, you know, bring people together out of isolation.
0: That's fantastic. And I mean, especially especially right now with what's going on in the world, having Mm -hmm. not that I want to make this this about... Covid, we have other episodes about that, but but <laughs> because we're going through it right now, I think having teleconferences are is really key and really important and super awesome, and I really commend you for doing that. And honestly, when I when I heard the word ataxia, when I first when you first brought it up to me, I was like, I know kind of what that is, and so I'm learning so much from you today um, just about how it manifests. And so thank you for that. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, one of the other fast facts that I we just want to rattle off. I fa- I can only find U.S. stats, mm-hmm. and it said that 150,000 people in the U.S. have ataxia. Um, do you have any insight in Canadian stats on what those numbers are?
1: Um, I know off the top of my head. To be honest with you, I I, I don't know off the top of my head.
0: Yeah. It's probably again, and probably because it's so rare.
1: Um, I I know that there is um a really great organization. There's the Taxi Canada, uh, which we're hosting a fundraiser for, and they, um, they're they similar to the National Taxi Foundation in the US, um, but they're based in Montreal, as uh, so they do work within Canada. So, um, because the type of taxi I have actually originate out of Beauce Quebec, which is a city in Quebec. So, um, it's got roots there. So yeah,
0: so That's they hot. do.
1: Um, sorry.
0: That's great. I'm on their website right now. I'm just looking oh, at their website. Okay. As they're talking. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, they're great. They're great.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, they're they're really great. And um, yeah, so you know we we've are uh, hoping you know the in person portion of our funders is being pushed back, but um, essentially we're partnering with Taxi Canada uh, to raise funds for them
0: that's fantastic and i think everybody and i will make sure that when we air this episode that there will be a lot of um links to all this stuff because it's so so important um oh excellent i'm looking at just some of the symptoms on their website actually thank you for bringing it to my attention because i didn't know that it was i'm looking at like things like cardiac problems things like tremors are you worried about any of that stuff as things get progress for you as as you get older
1: it it's a possibility I, I really don't know the um you know what will happen in terms of uh, the symptoms because uh, for me in the specific type um, because from what i know is that the research studies for my type are still ongoing so the pe- the participants are still alive yeah so i don't know what you know they're still being studied and everything so um that it's a
0: possibility I don't know yeah um, I want to go into a little bit of the history with you of what I found about mm-hmm. a taxi because I found a little bit of and I couldn't find a lot about a taxi itself because it's so rare but I did find about the the, the German pathologist nikolaus friedrich who was born in who's born on July 1st 1825 in wurzburg I'm guessing that's I'm guessing in in it just says Wurzburg, so I'm assuming that's in Germany somewhere. Um, and he was a German pathologist and neurolog- a neurologist. who was, and he was a third generation physician in his family. His father was psychiatrist Johann Baptist Friedrich, and his grandfather was pathologist Nicholas Anton Friedrich. Maybe it's I think it's Friedrich. They they discovered a description of idiopathic facial paralysis. And they, they also discovered um, a whole bunch of other symptoms like Frederick's disease, Friedrich's disease. Nicholas Friedrich started, uh, discovered Friedrich's ataxia, which is another form of, of ataxia. Um, mm-hmm. And he characterized it by an unusual gait pattern. So, just how, how people walk and balance issues. Um, mm-hmm. And just because I couldn't find a lot on the history of, of a taxi itself, I'm going to kind of give you, and because we are a sexy podcast, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give you a little description of of Nicholas Friedrich. He looked really hot for the, <laughs> for the for the early 19th century. He was, you know, if I was in the 19th century and I wanted to go see a doctor... I'd want him to treat me. He was basically, he looked like the McDreamy of his day. Um, <laughs> I think in the picture that I can see here, I'll post it on the social media. Um, he was involved in also the correlations of muscular dystrophy, brain tumors, um, all that kind of stuff. And, and I know my, I know the history section of this is a little bit thin, but it's because there's so few articles on what a taxi is. Which basically, to me, means we need more research in this area.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Definitely.
0: There's just not enough, and I, 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 was hoping that when I hit when I typed in a taxi into my Google machine, there would be like way more stuff, and there just wasn't. So yeah, that, exactly. That's just proof yeah. we need to do more. But I want to quickly jump into. We did a little bit about diagnosis. We did a little bit about mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about how how ataxia for you has been socially understood by your peers like when you're out in the world how does right. it how How do you how do you feel about disclosing what are some like weird funny things that have happened like weird funny or funny funny things that have happened to you being is it are you would you say you're a person with ataxia or you're ataxic
1: I would say I'm a person with ataxia yeah, I mean um for me, I think it's definitely part of who I am, um, and I. It's, but it's. I guess it's does it's not. It's I don't know how to describe this, but it's um, it's a, it's who it's part of who I am and it's part of my identity. Right. But I wouldn't call myself an toxic person. I guess what I guess sense. it's all. It's 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 sort of the language and the semantics around how you
0: yeah sculpt. how you identify, which is totally which is mm-hmm. completely fine and great. I think that's because for me, I would say I'm a disabled person, but I I also wouldn't say I'm a cerebral palsy person. Like I wouldn't say that either. So like I, I totally understand why you would want to why you would want to not not distance yourself, but like change the language for yourself. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Um, yeah. Tell me some of the weird. Interesting things that have happened to you being on the world with ataxia?
1: Yeah, so um, for me, um, because I I, um, am grateful that I don't have um, a very aggressive form, so it's, you know, but I've heard uh, stories where, you know, there's the misconception that we're drunk because um, across the board, we all have balance of coordination and sort of gait abnormalities, yeah. uh, so really wide stance. So um, when uh, a taxi is really aggressive, um, you know, someone can appear like, you know, they're walking like a drunk. And, you know, I've, I've heard stories where, you know, uh, people have reported them to the police, like there's a drunk on the street or something, um, which is, which is really disheartening.
0: You know. Yeah, I mean it's kind of horrible because like, and you know also b- because and as as you've stated like, like dysarthria is a thing that happens. So if you're if you have gay problems and dysarthria dysarthria at the same time, yeah. like mm-hmm. somebody stopping you would would definitely assume you were drunk, um, and would maybe because a lot of a lot of um, a lot of police services don't have a lot of training with. Disability, they won't, they won't, you know, take your word for it. They'll just assume you're drunk and, you know, do things around that that are problematic. So I, I, I assume that it's frustrating to just kind of be out in the world.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly, yeah. Um, especially because people don't understand. It's not, there isn't so much research and. You know, something like MS or Parkinson's, like, it's much more well-known, I guess. And there's much more funding towards um, those diseases, um, and which is great. Um, you know, for rare diseases, it's hard because, you know, trying to explain what it is, it's very it's really difficult. It's a challenge in itself.
0: Yeah. And how, so if you were to just explain it to, like, a lay person on the street who may have been like, Oh my God, that girl's drunk. How would you, like stuff and be like actually you're super wrong here's what like how would you quickly <laughs> tell them that you have this
1: yeah um i would you know say actually you know i have a neurological disorders called taxia would you like to hear more you know and uh no i think it's about educating and 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 a lot of time people don't know um and once they do know then you know um, that just creates more awareness
0: what is your stance on you said educating and I was like oh that's I want to let's go there what if, like a lot of disabled people that I talk to they don't mind educating but they get really burnt out having to constantly mm-hmm. re-educate and re-educate and re-educate different people about the condition how do you feel about that
1: yeah um, I I'm I mean I think personally um, that's part of what we're doing with Hope for toxia, so you know, um, just spreading the awareness and and is is part of you know. I'm not con- I'm not. I can see the burnout. I think I'd be okay with it uh, just because I think it needs to happen, especially for something that where there isn't as much knowledge of it.
0: Right. Um, I want to move on to because we were made, we kind of made a joke earlier on about how we can we t- talk later about dating and sexuality and your and ataxia a little bit. So can we are you okay we go there? Sure, yeah. Awesome. So tell me how ataxia has affected your dating or sex life or both.
1: Yeah, so um definitely for me it's um something I have to disclose. Um and it's it's scary. Um there's always that fear of you know rejection for anyone, um, dating is hard for anyone, um, but for sure, you know, knowing that you know it's a chronic illness and it is progressive, um, it's, it's scary for any potential partner, um, and to tell them that because you know, right now the symptoms might not look so bad, but they're gonna get worse. I don't know what it's gonna look like, I you know, I don't have a clear map, so yeah. So it's been, you know, I'm just, I'm just going through it. So, yeah.
0: And so how do you, like, if you were to, if you were to, how, how would you disclose to a partner? Would you, is it like very similar to what you would have said to somebody on the street? Like, hey, I have this neurological disorder and want to hear more? Or is it like, yo, this could happen during, (laughs) during like sexy times and you might need to know this.
1: Yeah. I think uh, I would probably take a different stance. Just like, I'm you know, I'd probably um, explain it how it was explained to me, um, you know, about the cerebellum being smaller than the average person's. Um, and it's, 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 I also don't, I'm also cognizant of not overwhelming anyone. Um, I don't want to be like, you know, and this is why I do this, and this is why I do this, and, you know, it affects all, you know, affects all the areas of my life, you know. So, like, um, get ready,
0: partner, it's going to affect me here, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, like, hold on to your scene, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, get ready for a wall ride.
0: Um, yeah. um, and how how does it, we were, we were kind of joking earlier about how it would affect your fine motor skills when mm-hmm. it comes to, like, sex. Can you, do you want to share that with us?
1: Sure. So, um, like I said, like it affects things like my writing. So, um, things like if, I, <laughs> if I was like giving a hand job or something, it would like affect like the ability to like move my hand in a, in a swift motion. Cause it would be really choppy.
0: Yeah. So like, it wouldn't necessarily feel, it would, it may not, although some people might, some people might like choppy handoffs, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but like, it may not feel as smooth as somebody is used to exactly. because your muscles can't, but does, would that kind of, kind of uh, disordered, um, disorder coordination, would that also affect how you self-pleasure?
1: So, I mean, there's some, there's, there's great vibrators out there, so, <laughs> um, I, I can sort of take the work out of that equation, and I'm like, okay, I just sit back, um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome, that's great, though. <laughs> so, yeah. So, because I'm, because this is a sex and disability podcast, and I always want to find out how other people with disabilities man- navigate their sex lives, what is the most accessible vibrator for you?
1: So, um. So, I recently, well, not recently, probably, like, two or three months ago, got got, um, I guess, the rabbit, which has been, like, amazing. <laughs> so, I've heard really
0: good things because it's really, yeah. it's tiny, right? And it's easy to, it yeah. doesn't require a lot of, like, fine motor Yeah, just, just, like, leave it
1: there and it just does this thing. Just <laughs> 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 let it just, like, go off and it'll... It works really well.
0: So That's awesome. That's great. Um, <laughs> yeah. What is one thing about ataxia that you wish people understood more?
1: Um, I wish that people would understand that or know more that it's... Hmm. That's a really good question. I would say that um, you know, to, to divide those myths, uh, the main myth is that we're drunk or that, you know, we're mentally challenged um, because of the symptoms, right? If you have dysarthria, it's like, no, you know, it's more of a, it, it, it can manifest into, um, you know, cognitive and mental at, you know, later stages or um, as it progresses. But, um, you know, primarily it's also it's a physical
0: um challenge so so you'd want people to understand that you, that just because you have um ataxia doesn't mean you also have an intellectual disability
1: yeah yeah
0: that's fair yeah. I mean I think I think you know that's supposed to be so hard because obviously we want to support people with intellectual disabilities and if you have ataxia and intellectual disabilities I'm sure it's frustrating and it's really tough to have to like Constantly say, like "I don't have an intellectual disability," but like, this is what I'm living with. Um,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Um, do you like? What do you think it would take to get? Because we've talked so much about how there's so limited re- re- like research into this disability, into these sets of disabilities right now. What do you think it would take to get more research into this area?
1: I think, um, you know, something like that you know i'm doing is you know just spreading awareness and just um you know getting your friends involved getting family friends who don't who aren't in the community to know uh giving like giving them knowledge to what it is and then they can spread that knowledge and it keeps going it's like a snowball and i think as um there's more awareness you get more people interested in research and um and then you know cl- possible clinical trials, and um, you know, um, and it sort of snowballs from there.
0: Do you think? I'm, I was just listening to you talk, coming up with like five more questions. Do you think <laughs> that um, your ataxia, your experience with ataxia and this disability, has it has it given you something? Have you like gained a different perspective living with this disability?
1: Yeah, definitely. Oh, for sure. Um, I think you know, um, creating Hope for Taxi has been th- the project I'm most proud of, to be honest. Um, and I think in my whole life, I've you know always been looking for something meaningful, but I couldn't find it. But I think, you know, the silver lining is that my purpose found me, no, I'm um, having this means that, you know, I'm blending my voice to something that I think will li- have an impact um that's and really
0: powerful I love what I love what you just <laughs> said about how like your purpose found you because I feel the same way with my disability like I didn't initially I didn't think that I was going to do this kind of work and do what I do and that like it has brought me so much community in doing what I do and doing mm-hmm. this and like to know that like you before we started talking you listen to the show and it was important to you like just to know that it's bringing people together that I had no idea would follow what I do so I'm very similarly to you I'm very proud of that my disability even though it sucks sometimes and there are moments where I'm like fuck I hate this but like <laughs> the, it's brought people together speaking, yeah speaking of like the moments where you're like fuck I hate this what are some moments where you're like I just wish this wasn't part of my disability today
1: yeah like um like drinking you know I wish I could uh you know be drinking and you know I'm doing all those things but I I get tired yeah. Um, and drinking actually, I mean, drinking in general will uh, loosen you up, right? So it's it's even more uh, pronounced for someone with ataxia. So I avoid drinking at all costs. So that's something I, you know, if I didn't have this, that I would do more of is, you know, do something you know, a
0: twenty-something-year-old would go out and do. Yeah. Does it make you feel like? you can only be in certain social situations because people will say, like, hey, can I grab you a drink? And you have to be like, no, actually, I can't because...
1: Yeah, no, I I hear you. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I don't go to, like, parties and stuff and, you know, because I do get tired and people exhaust me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll just feel like... I, I love how you kind of said... But... I love how you
0: kind of were like, people exhaust me both because of your disability but also you were like people just exhaust me generally so <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so I'm like I just kind of want to go <laughs> um but yeah so um if I avoid certain situations I think I naturally do because I am. I think I lean towards the introvert introverted spectrum anyways um but um so a lot of people take a lot of my energy and I try to avoid those just because I I, I don't have the stamina to like stay up to like 12 or 1 I get so, tired so you
0: mentioned <laughs> you mentioned stamina and my brain was like let's go back to sex for a minute so, <laughs> so because you get tired a lot and because they you, yeah. you know takes a lot of your energy away how do you navigate that energy if you want to have sex is it like something you plan out is it something you like you only do certain times of, of like the day or week or month or whatever works for you? Like, how do you navigate that?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, so, uh, generally, <laughs> I will, I, I, I'm, I'm what you call, like, a pillow princess.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go on, I'm listening.
1: So, um, I just, you know, let my partner, you know, do his thing. <laughs> and i'm just like enjoying it i guess i don't know
0: so you you get yours
1: exactly and so Good
0: for that's how you. i'm
1: not so tired
0: <laughs> amazing um
1: but yeah i mean like i like I, like i was saying with the finer skills certain positions like if i'm on top or something um i find that more difficult cuz it's, it's it's not like smooth motion right it's it's like jagged it's 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 um yeah, it's, so it's really choppy. I'm like yeah, it's choppy. It's like I need your help here.
0: <laughs> so would like, you say you're a master of choppy sex?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love how
0: quickly I and mean, without a beat you were like yes
1: <laughs>
0: Um So this was an amazing interview and thank you so much for taking the time today. It was so great. Before I let you go, I knew I know you wanted to kind of talk a little bit more about your your organization hope for ataxia mm-hmm. and kind of the fundraiser that's coming up on in june um can now yeah. I, you talked about it a little bit earlier about how it was like mm-hmm. gonna be in person but obviously given that the world is falling apart we had to change all that <laughs> yeah
1: uh, exactly
0: but tell me tell me a little bit more about the organization and like how people can get involved and what it is that you do
1: yeah of course so, Hope for Ataxia um, is a grassroots organization. So, I curate content for it. So, with, uh, we try to find content for every type of Ataxia that um, I can find. And we just uh, have a Facebook group. And I will curate the content and post it on the Facebook group. We have a really budding com- uh, community there as well. So uh, on Facebook, is just Hope for Taxia. Um, we also have a community as well. So it's another group that where we can really share experiences. Um, and we also have a website. So it's Hope for Taxia org, and. Um, well, like uh, as you mentioned, yeah, our fundraiser. So it would be in person. It was supposed to be in mississauga on June sixth, but you can still donate online. And so we are partnering with a taxi Canada. So all the funds will go to them, and that all go towards you know their different initiatives, whether it's research, uh, awareness, things like that. Um, they're a really large organization, and so we're really excited to work with them. And they've been great.
0: That's that's fantastic. Thanks for. Thanks for letting us know about all that. I'll, I'll make sure that when this episode airs, it'll definitely be <laughs> it'll definitely be before June 6th because we have all the time in the world now. So what it, what is anyone else going to want to do except listen to podcasts? I'll make sure <laughs> that it's all in the show notes so people can contact you. How can they get a hold of you directly, Courtney?
1: Yeah, so um, you can message the Hope for Taxi group. Um, I'm actually on Facebook. I'm under the name Courtney May. So Courtney and then M-A-Y. And the reason I use that is it's my middle name. So um,
0: oh, very, you can message me directly. <laughs> Thank re- you. It's very nice um,
1: to <laughs> So you can message me directly if you want to know more information as well. Um, and then, you know, we also have... Faces of taxi on our website as well, which are profiles of people with Ataxia as well as caregivers. And we're constantly looking to update that as well. So definitely if you want to learn more, you can check that out. And uh, we have also have different things like our teleconferences, which we invite everyone to join and we hold that every 14 weeks and it's a really great way for people to connect with others in the community and people are interested in learning about tax and we uh have guest speakers from the disability community
0: well if you need a guest speaker i'm around let me let me know (laughs)
1: yeah yeah that's
0: great um i had one question that popped in my head Mm -hmm. just before you go and i it's We've already done the end stuff, but just before you go, I'm going to ask it anyway. You mentioned earlier that your mom is your primary caregiver.
1: Yeah.
0: How has Ataxia kind of affected your relationship? And you said you're really close already. Like, Mm -hmm. has it made it stronger? Has it strengthened the bond? Has it strained things? Like, What is it like having her as your primary caregiver, and how has it affected your relationship?
1: yeah, so uh, she's it's definitely stre- I would say it's definitely strengthened. Um, so things that she helps me with is, you know, we go for walks and she'll support me. She helps me keep me on track with my diet, exercise, you know, um, and you know it's it's been tough on her, I think, emotionally as well, um, because she sort of had to ride the waves with me um yeah. as we're both going through sort of the diagnosis and everything
0: um but she's she's been great that's awesome and i i think you know caregivers that are dealing with new diagnoses of their especially especially parents really need to be given the support and i commend her because you know my mom was for a long time my primary caregiver and when we do stuff together she is my primary caregiver so i know the the toughness it is of trying to navigate an adult kid going through like disabilities and trying to help somebody when, when they're, you're trying to let them be independent but you're seeing that they can't necessarily be independent as you want them to be It's a whole it's a, it's a big mind fuck so I appreciate that she's there for you
1: yeah no it's great I mean uh, she's my biggest support you know going creating Hope for Taxia and you know uh, doing going through the nonprofit registration and creating this organization she's been a great support so I'm happy to have her
0: that's awesome thank you so much Courtney's mom and (laughs) so i don't have any more questions this was it was going to be a like a a straight up what's your condition but it just kind of turned into like a fun interview which i love anyway that's fine Ah. it was great i love having you on the show um is there anything is there any last things you want to share uh
1: well i just want to say thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure just talking with you and you've made this really really um, easy for me and I uh, felt very comfortable
0: good but. I'm so happy because you mentioned earlier yeah. when you when we started recording you were nervous and I was like I don't yeah. be nervous is literally just gonna be it's <laughs> gonna be just us having a chat so yeah so like thank you so much for coming on today Courtney it was so fun to talk with you um thanks for making disability after dark what it is it's it's guests like you that really like make this show go so I appreciate that oh thank you so much all right, Courtney, we'll talk after I hit off, but thank you so much. Okay, right. Bye. Bye. All right, friends, this has been another edition of Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. I'm, of course, your number one career cribble and your disabled Dick Smith host, Andrew Gerza. If you like what you heard today and you want to follow my work and find out more about what I do, you can head over to www dot andrewgerza.com, or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at itsandrewgerza. If you want to follow the podcast directly, you can head over to Twitter and punch in pod and follow us there. If you want to contact the show with a show idea, a guest idea, a comment, or complaint, you can head over to your email and email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to this latest edition of Disability After Dark, and we'll be here to shine a bright light on more things really soon. Thanks, everybody. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020